It's all good. It's all good. Just a question here this morning. I'd like to start with how many, this is a, a, new, a new podium that uh, Richard Kush made for us, and it's a lot heavier to move around. So I might just leave it where it is. Um, just, just a question for us here this morning. I wonder how many doors or doorways that you walk through already this morning. Doors. I mean, when you think about it, they're, they're, they're so common, and um, we take them for granted, but they're so necessary. Again, we just walk through them without even, I think, consciously thinking through what we're doing. This morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' words in John chapter 10, where he says, I am the door. It's one of the, the I am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. He, he mentioned seven I am statements. And in the last two weeks, we looked at two of them. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. This morning, we're going to be looking at I am the door. Now, it's remarkable, it's remarkable that Jesus, this master teacher that he is, he can use everyday language, everyday language, figures of speech, so common, and yet those common words, everyday language, common words, are filled with spiritual truth, deep spiritual truth. I am the door, simple statement, but in that statement, theologically deep thought, spiritual deep thought. i like to encourage you to open your Bibles with me to John chapter 10, John chapter 10, we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Now, um, our text is verses 7 through 10. I am the door. Next week, Ryan's going to pick up the next phrase, I am the good shepherd. Both of these phrases come from the same passage. And so we'll be reading, Ryan will be reading this passage a bit again next week. I'm going to do my best to stay on door. Ryan will do his best next week to stay on the shepherd. But, uh, but here we go. John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes, be hence, or he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me or came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God's reading for us here this morning. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you again for your word. Your word is life. And dear Father, as we have read your word, we hear your word, as we hear your word complaint, 
proclaim, we ask, Father, that your spirit will give us eyes to hear what you would want to say to us here this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. I, uh, I like to share three powerful truths from this little phrase, I am the door. Three blessings that we've received. The first blessing is access to the Father. Secondly, spiritual security and freedom in life. And thirdly, uh, abundant joy and contentment for living. First, this little phrase, the first lesson here, truth, I'm the door, implies access to the Father. Access to the Father. The imagery here is very common. Common language that Jesus uses about a pen or a sheepfold. Uh, again, uh, so common in his day, probably a hundred, you know, a flip, where it's so uncommon for us today. But for Jesus in his day, uh, the idea of sheep and a sheepfold was very, very common. Many a house would have a sheep pen attached to it. And in the evening, the sheep would be herded back into the pen and, 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 and bush or shrubs would be put in front of the gate or in the doorway or a hired hand would be put in the doorway or stand there. But sometimes scholars say and tell us that the shepherd himself sometimes would even lay down and sleep right in the entrance. He would be the door. Now, I find that uh, this terminology very interesting. I recall, I recall something like this when I was in Kenya. I was there two different times, and I remember visiting the Maasai people. And the Maasai people would, would build their, their huts and their, their homes in a large circle, and the center of the circle would be open, an open field. And during the day, all the cattle and the shepherds and the individuals, men, would be out in the fields with their animals. But at night, they would herd them all back in through the one door, through one entranceway, and they would be safe within the center. And then they would put bush and shrubs in the front of the gateway, the doorway. And sometimes it would even keep a sentry there to, to, to ward off wild animals. And so it's interesting. Jesus is saying in our text that he is the door. Interesting. He's the door into the very presence of the Father. And so the imagery in many ways is very simple and straightforward. One must pass through him in order to have access to the Father. Now, there's an exclusivity here in these words. There is only one door, one door to the Father. Not many doors, not multiple doors. There's, there's no options here. There's one door, and Jesus is saying that door is, is himself through him. The thought's very similar to John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Through me. Well, we ask, how, how could Jesus make these claims or this claim? Well, part of the answer is in the I am uh, words or phrase. The I am statements in the gospel. With this phrase, uh, Jesus is echoing uh, Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, where God appears before Moses in the burning bush and says there to, to Moses, 
here's my name. I am who I am. Now, Jewish people, since the time of Jesus, the Old Testament and, and many different pockets, wouldn't even dare say the name. They, they wouldn't dare proclaim it. And yet, here is Jesus using the I am statement. And when Jesus is saying the I am statement, and many scholars believe this to be true, Jesus is actually claiming divinity authority. He has the credentials to say, I am, because he is God himself. And so the claim to be the door, not a door, the door, that claim, he can say that because he is God himself. John 8, verse 58, interesting words there. We read Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Again, Jesus is claiming divinity and authority, his credentials. But many people today who live outside the church will say, mercy me, um, they don't like this thought that we say Jesus is the only way. Uh, in our society, we're so pluralistic, and, and we need to be inclusive, they say. And, and perhaps you've heard people say this. I've heard people say this to me. How, how narrow-minded you Christians can be to assert that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And they'll rephrase it and use some different language. They might say you're so arrogant to say your religion is only the right one. Or they might even say to be a little bit more kinder to us, mercy me, will you please be inclusive? All religions, all religions go to God and reach God, don't they? Come on, please. How do we respond? How do you respond? Maybe your coworker has said this to you, a neighbor, maybe a family member. How do you respond? I like to turn this argument upside down. I really don't believe that, that Jesus is trying to be exclusive here. He's really being kind and he's very gracious. He's offering a lifeline to the lost. Let me explain. Last year we heard, we heard the story coming out of the Philippines about uh, students and their teacher being trapped in a cave. The high tide came up and they were entrapped. Now the rescuers did find them, but granted, granted, it was, it was a tough rescue. There was only just one way, and it was a very dangerous way. As a matter of fact, we heard that one of the rescuers even perished, even died. There's one way to freedom, only one way. Now how odd would it be being a little facetious here, how odd would it be for the students and the teachers to say, hey, wait a minute, can, can you be a little bit more open-minded here and give us a couple of different options? I mean, not really, right? We, we would say, no, no, when, when life is in danger, when it's a life and death danger, and there's an, a door, an opening to freedom, we jump. We jump for that freedom. And toward that freedom. And this is what Jesus is implying behind even these words. He's implying this. I am the door to your freedom. I am your lifeline. Come this way. This way. Follow me. Follow me. Powerful. Powerful. And this is the biblical story. This is the great mega theme of the Bible. 
The mega theme of the Bible is creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. Isn't it amazing if you see the Bible, many of you holding the Bible in your lap, the Bible in front of you? The mega theme of the whole Bible, this, this beautiful book, many, many pages. Creation, the fall, rescue, restoration. We have a God who created the heavens and the earth, and it was good. And the crown of God's creation, the masterpiece of his creation, was the creation of man and woman in his image. But they rebelled, and they fell into sin and disobedience, and the consequence of their sin was devastating. It's like a virus, a virus that just spread and touched all of life, spread and touched all of creation, all of creation. And physical and spiritual death became a reality. And what's most disturbing was the fact that man was unable to rescue himself. Unable to rescue himself. We were in our helpless. We need a door. We need a door. I just think of Romans here, a number of passages from Romans 3, 10. None is righteous, no, not one. 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. We need a door. We need rescue. That is the message of the Bible. And the good news, the good news, this biblical story, is that God came to our rescue motivated purely out of love and grace, he came to us, saw our plight, gave his one and only son as the door to redeem us, to deliver us. We see John 3.16, a well-known verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Wow, what a beautiful Beautiful picture. So Jesus, who was truly human and truly righteous, took on our sin and our guilt and paid the price. I love Isaiah 53, a prophecy about about Jesus, the Messiah, 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that that brought us peace. And with his stripes, we were healed. We were like sheep. We have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. First Peter 3, verse 18, Peter can say, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, and in this, that he might bring us to God that he might bring us to God. So when Jesus says, I am the door, he is offering grace and mercy to those who are lost, to those who are lost, needing rescue. He's offering a door, a lifeline, to Abba, Abba Father. Number two, the second blessing here in this text is Uh, spiritual security and the freedom that we have in life, in Christ, the spiritual security and freedom that we have. Verse 9, verse 9, chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We just looked at that. And will go in and out and find pasture. 
Notice with me the words, he will go in and out and find pasture. These words speak of security and speak of a freedom that we have in Christ. These words echo Psalm 23 where the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. This door Jesus, this door shepherd Jesus gives us a new identity. We're accepted, we're forgiven, we're we're free to live in his grace. We think of this word pasture, it means nurture. Nurture, it means life, freedom to grow. We think of this words, that phrase, to come and go. The meaning there is that we do not live in fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Because we are with the good shepherd, the good shepherd, there's security and peace now in life. Now, interesting enough, thieves and robbers, Jesus says, come only to steal and to uh, manipulate, they don't have the sheep's best interest in mind. They're, they're cunning, they're selfish, they're evil. I believe Jesus is saying robbers and thieves here in this context. I think he could be referring to messianic pretenders during before Jesus' time on earth. And even during that time, there were pretenders who pretended to be the Messiah, led people astray. But I also think robbers and thieves here, Jesus is referring to the Pharisees in his day. The Pharisees were part of the religious establishment. They, they saw themselves as the spiritual elite. They were the gatekeepers to Moses' law and to, um, as their interpretation of the Old Testament. However, they were blind guides. That's what Jesus calls them. Jesus could be straightforward at times, many times. He called them blind guides. Matthew 23, they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on people's shoulders. Verse 4, 4, Matthew 23, they shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. The Pharisees in Jesus' day, I mean, they majored. They majored in fear and legalism. They minored in mercy and grace. They minored in mercy and grace. There's no sense of, of security or peace for the Jewish people at that time. Who could ever measure up to a, to, to a Pharisee's standard? Oh, mercy me. And so you just lived in this guilt, and many felt so hopeless. But along comes Jesus. But along comes Jesus on the scene. And he's so different. He offers grace and peace to the untouchables. He offers grace and amazing to the forgotten ones. He he offers grace to those who didn't make the grade. And and, and so he allows people to start over. He, 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 He heals them. He forgives them. He restores them. He gives them hope and dignity. He he gives them life, freedom. So Jesus is saying life and security, life and security is not found in stone walls, not found in a temple, not found in law ritual, found in me. That was radical. Where Jesus could say, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. Jesus is saying, life 
was and is to be found in me. I am that door, and I am the one that gives life, life itself. And Jesus is really implying, we move on here, that in proximity to me, in me, you're secure and free. With me, Emmanuel, God with us, there is a sense of peace. You can go in and out and find pasture. You're secure in yourself as a person of human being because you know your creator and you know that he has redeemed you and life is in him. And so there is this sense of assurance here, blessed assurance, shalom. It's, it's a picture here of you know the peace of mind that passes all understanding. John 8 Verse 31, 36, remarkable words. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And in verse 36, Jesus could say this. He says, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Remarkable words. In Christ we are free. Free, free, free not to, to sin as we please, but to live a life that pleases the Lord. Billy Graham said it really well. He said this, True freedom consists not in the freedom to sin, but the freedom not to sin. Not to sin. We are free now to live in grace, to live in Christ, to live for Christ. To live for Christ. So Jesus the door. Summary here. Jesus' door gives us access to the Father, but this Father, Abba Father, is good, and there's spiritual blessings with this Father God who gives us security and a sense of freedom that no other standard or law or man-made rituals can ever give. Third blessing in this little phrase, I am the door. The third blessing is abundant joy and contentment for living. And we find that in verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then we have one of the most remarkable verses. Many, many Christian people would say, church history, this is one of their favorite verses. Jesus said, verse 10, part B, he says this. He goes, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Have it abundantly. abundantly. Those words mean to have it to the full, full measure. One Bible translation has, my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. Another writes this, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Still another writes, I came to give them life and to make them flourish. To make them flourish. Now in America, I really believe we have to be careful with those words, with this phrase. We're, we're Christian people too, we're, we're so me-orientated. We can be so selfish-orientated, selfishly-orientated. We have this health and wealth gospel in our land that somehow we think that God's cosmic reason for redemption is me, and that he is to make me healthy, wealthy, and comfortable for the rest of my life. That the end game, the end game that God had when he created the world was me and my comfort. No, 
We don't read that in Scripture. We don't read that in Scripture. God redeemed us to glorify Him. All of creation is to glorify the Creator, to glorify Him. And when we glorify Him as the true Creator of all, the true Creator of life and all of life, we find great satisfaction and fullness of life. Then we receive a peace of mind that passes all understanding. And so, this abundant life, what is this abundant life? This abundant life, this rich and abundant life, is living a life of forgiveness. Knowing that I am completely forgiven in Christ, washed clean. What a freedom that gives me to freely forgive others. Now that's an abundant life, to freely forgive The rich and abundant life is a generous life in Christ. I am rich in Christ. He has given me so much. I can be so grateful. And my stuff now is the Lord's. I can be over-the-top generous. My identity is in Christ, not in my stuff. And so it's true. God is right. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now Now that is a picture of contentment. That's a picture of contentment. To be rich and abundant, or the idea of being rich and abundant, this life also means losing oneself in the service of others. I like to call this towel theology. John chapter 13, Jesus washes the disciples' feet, and then he says to them, (laughs) remarkable, he says, I've given you an example, you go and do likewise. Towel theology. It's, uh, it's truly, truly wonderful. God has made us, interestingly, to flourish. And we flourish. And many people kind of miss this, I really, truly believe, in our society. We flourish when we serve others in Christ's name. And so we flourish when we use our talents. When we use our talents, God, the one God has given us, to, 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 for kingdom ministries. And in this, the abundant life is knowing God has invited us and equipped us to join him in kingdom ministries. That he's invited us to join him in ministries. We think here the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. I, we, we won't read the whole chapter at all. I'll paraphrase There's a master who had three servants. He gave the servants talents. One five talents, one two talents, one one talent. And then it's interesting that they were to go, each according to their ability, and then they were to go to add to the talents or multiply the talents. Now the individuals who received five talents and two talents, who put them to work, they received God's... uh, you know, uh, thank you, or praise, well done, good and faithful servants. But the one who, who had the one talent, who hid the talent, who did nothing with the talent, the master, it says in Matthew 25, was angry. He actually calls him wicked and slothful servant, and he was dismissed. So what is the meaning here? The meaning is to every believer, 
Every person who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, in Christ, every believer has been given talents and gifts, and God expects us to use those gifts and abilities for kingdom purposes. And then here, and here's the, the joy. The joy is that we are able to participate in God's work. God has redeemed me, and the very person who redeems, he works through me for kingdom purposes. So truly, truly remarkable. We have the joy of participating in God's work. Paul, in Ephesians 2, verse 10, he calls us, he says, we are God's workmanship. Some people call that little phrase, paraphrase, or, or translation, God's work of art. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For good works. So how, 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 does, this, how does this, maybe, you know, we flush it out a bit. We can serve others through music and song. We, we, we can, we can uh, serve the Lord through teaching children about Jesus Christ, by starting Christian schools, by, by going on mission trips to South Africa and, and to the Ukraine, through hospitality, by inviting others, other neighbors, over for a barbecue. I, I think that's so radical and so I, I think we're hearing more and more of this as time goes on to think of every Christian person where God has placed you on the street, in the apartment, wherever you live, to think that God has placed you there to be salt and light for the people on that street. That's where you would be salt and light the gift of hospitality. Of course we go to a place to worship, but that God would use you right where you are. It's a beautiful theme, and we're hearing more and more of that all the time. Through the gift of mercy, visiting the sick and the impaired, through foster care, through adoption, through risking great things for God, using our gifts and about. Abilities for God's kingdom. I love the quote here from Michael W. Smith in, uh, in the book, um, the, the Mother and Child Project. He says, God has given each one of us talents, just as the estate manager gave his workers his seed money. And it can be scary to step out and use those gifts, the gifts of a carpenter, the, the artistry of a dancer, the attention of detail of an accountant, or the loving hand of a mother. We fear rejection and failure, but we must use these gifts and share them with others in order to fulfill Jesus' prayer that life on earth should be as it is in heaven, to see God's kingdom come here on earth. And so here's the question, and I end with this question. Are you standing on the sidelines Or are you jumping into the game? Are you standing on the sidelines? Or are you jumping into the game? Jesus the door has given you access to the Father, Abba Father. And this great God, because of who he is, has given forgiveness, and has given you security and peace, and has given you a home. You're heaven-bound. And in the process, now, maybe best of all, we get to participate in ministry with him. 
We get to participate in ministry with him. Wow. Do I hear an amen? Amen. God has created us in Christ to flourish, to flourish, to live a life to the full, to live it abundantly. New City Church, what talents has God given us? What talents has God given you? Let's jump in. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And dear Lord, um, it never ceases to amaze me. Father, how you're teaching how rich and how deep it really is. Dear Lord, thank you that you're, you are the door. You give us access to Abba, Father. Thank you for what you've done for us. You provided the way. You provided the way, the lifeline for us to be forgiven and to be in fellowship with God the Father. Thank you for the blessings you give us, the treasures you give us. And thank you, Lord, that, that now you even work through us. And I know sometimes, Lord, for, for myself and for some of us here, we just we marvel at that because we, we know what we're like. We know our sinful tendencies. We, we know that we can beat ourselves up. We, we sometimes have such a low self-esteem of ourselves. We forget who we are in you. That we're your children. That not only are we your children, but you want to, you desire to work in and through us your purposes that we live life abundantly for you. You've made us to flourish. And that's, that's our prayer, my prayer for New City, our prayer for New City, our prayer for those around us, that each and every one of us here would find our talent, our abilities, our niche in ministry for your church, for your kingdom, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.